5 from the NIV. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Well, whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet you lose or forfeit their very self? Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for having me here this morning. I'm uh, grateful to be able to share a message from God's Word with you. If, uh, if I can just get us up to speed, we, we began this month with a, a sermon series uh, called Full Devotion to God. And looking back at the beginning of the month, we had Jay bring us a two-part lesson uh, about, uh, about how we are God's people and He is our God. And then last week we had the privilege of listening to Amir, and he shared with us uh, about how we need to have a love towards sinners, both within and outside the church. And, and, and that is involved in having a full devotion to God because it, it's how Jesus lived, and it's how we ought to live too. And today we're going to wrap up this sermon series by talking about a sermon that I'm titling Total Devotion to God. But first, before we get into the sermon, I'd like to segue into that a little bit about telling you uh, about Alicia and my summer this summer uh, of 2018. Uh, We spent the summer working on a lot of things. We replaced the fence in our backyard. And it wasn't an ordinary fence job because... Uh, we have a yard that's about a foot and a half higher than our neighbor's yard on either side. And so yeah, the, old, the old fence that was there before was being pushed over by, by the earth that was, that was pushing the fence over. And so in order to fix it properly, we had to, um, to kind of do a lot more work than, than a regular fence job would be. I just put a few pictures up here for you to see. Uh, we needed to build a retaining wall along both sides of the yard. I'm not sure if you can see it there. But it was to support the earth and hold it back in so that when we built the new fence, it wouldn't push the, the new fence over again. And then there was also a brick flower garden that needed to be moved, uh, two large uh, sheds and a big uh, tree that had to be cut down to get everything out of the way. And then once all that was finally gone, uh, then we could build that retaining wall. Uh, and I'm not really sure how this happened or, or how we came to this conclusion, but I guess we figured that this wasn't quite enough work for one summer yet. So... We also uh, took on another project, and many of you might know that we bought a piece of property out north of Winnipeg uh, a couple of years ago, and we hope to build a house there one day, but until we get to the point where we can afford to do that, we're, we've just been using it as a campsite. And, um, and so it's really nice. It's a, it's a, a well-treed lot, a, or fully-treed lot, I guess, and it's along a creek, so it's a nice place to hang out. And in the summer of 2017, we spent a lot of time there in our tent, which is great, but we, we did get wet a few times. The tent is not always waterproof. And so we decided uh, we'd like to have something a little bit more permanent. And we, uh, we decided to build what we're calling a cabin, even though it's not very big. It's just small and big enough for a bed and a, a, a table and, and a, a dresser, basically, to store some things in. So this was a lot of fun, but I guess uh, we maybe underestimated how much work it was going to be because the the build site was about 600 feet from the road and and we'd have to kind of walk on a path through the bush to get there and we don't have electricity or running water so everything had to be carried in by hand uh, or tools generators saws all that stuff and it it was a lot of work but it it was fun and and so this was our summer 
kind of going back and forth between working at home on the fence and then working out at the property on our cabin. And we were really pushing hard to finish before the winter came. Uh, but thankfully, we just got it done in time. And and looking back on it now, there was only a handful of days all summer that we weren't busy doing one of these two projects. Um, it, it was it was a lot of fun, as I mentioned, but i got to be honest, some days it was all that we could do to keep putting the work gloves on and getting back at it. Um, both Alicia and I are amazed now looking back at it at how it all came together. We were blessed by God with a dry summer that allowed us to work almost every day. And we also had a ton of work and a ton of help from our friends and family in the church and, and, uh, and in our families at home too that really helped us and came to, came to help us when we needed it the most. And we're very thankful for that. So the moral of the story or the reason I'm telling you all this is, is, is in what it took to finish these jobs. In order to complete these projects, we had to take them pretty seriously. It, it, was, a, it was really about devotion. Every day we could make time, we had to make it. We couldn't afford to get distracted and we couldn't waste the precious chance that we had to finish these projects. And even when we weren't working on them, we had to be thinking about them and thinking about the next steps that we had to take in order to get everything done before winter showed up. The point of the story uh, is to show that the level of devotion that some things require in order to be achieved. Tight timeline building projects aren't the only thing that require devotion. I mean, think about the farmer trying to get his crops in before the rain or, or the professional trying to get their business off the ground or uh, an athlete trying to make it to Olympics. I think there's many things in, in our lives that we can see that where we recognize that total devotion is necessary. And as much as the things of this life require a great deal of devotion, there is something or in fact someone else in our life who, de- who requires our devotion anymore, uh, even more. Sorry, We serve a God who wants our devotion and not just a portion of it. He wants it all 100% of the time. I'm probably not alone in missing this truth sometimes. I think we can get this thought in our head almost subconsciously that as long as we show up on Sunday morning and maybe read the Bible and pray a couple times during the day, that we're doing great and the rest of our time is just ours to do whatever we want with. But do we really think that God would be happy with a relationship like that? I mean, sure, as Christians, we still need to do things that might not seem spiritual, like build a cabin or or start a business, but that doesn't change the fact that we are called to glorify God in everything we do. So it should be our goal. So it should be our goal to figure out how we can devote ourselves to God in every area of our lives so that no matter what we are doing, we are still serving God. And this morning I want to talk about how we can get better at that. We're going to look at two biblical case studies about two people who did a good job of this. We'll also look at another case study from someone who wasn't doing such a good job at it. And then next we'll talk about some areas in our lives that we can use to improve. And finally we're going to explore why it is that we want to be fully devoted to God in the first place. I hope at the end of our time this morning, we are encouraged to examine our time and attention and recommit ourselves to devoting all of it to God. And so let's begin. The first case study I wanted to look at is from John the Baptist, and we'll be reading from John 3, verses 25 to 30. The background, and you guys can flip there if you want. I'm going to have every verse that I reference up here. I think every verse. So you can also follow along on the screen if you like. 
the background for this section, though, is that John the Baptist was a prophet from God. And he was speaking to the Israelites just before Jesus began his ministry. And his mission from God was to prepare the people for the Messiah by preaching a, a, a repentance from sins. We're going to pick up the story between the time that John baptizes Jesus and the time that John started um, and the time that John was arrested by Herod. So John 3 says, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. Uh, To me, John is the picture of someone living their life with a focus on their mission. We get a sense that his entire life was geared towards the goal of his mission, which for him was preparing the way for Jesus. The bride and the bridegroom are a familiar metaphor that we see in the Bible. In this case, Jesus is the bridegroom, or we would probably just say the groom, and John is the friend who attends the bridegroom, and today we would probably call that the best man. The best man spends his time leading up to the wedding, making preparations for the groom so that everything is ready to go when he arrives. During that time, the best man is running the show, but when the groom finally shows up, the best man is not only thrilled to see him, but eager to get out of the spotlight so the groom can shine because he's accomplished his goal and his work is now complete. John is thrilled to hear Jesus' voice and he says that his joy is now complete because Jesus has come. His life, his life mission was to prepare for Christ. Everything he did was geared towards that goal. And now that the way has been prepared and Jesus has arrived, it's time for him to get out of the spotlight. John shows this by saying he must become greater and I must become less. I think John wanted his life to bring glory to God. The thing I really want us to see from this example is that in John's mind, living for Jesus wasn't some part of his life. No, it it was his life. Serving God wasn't something he did once a week. It was a daily walk. And just like John, we are also called as Christians to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. But are are we doing a good job or how devoted are we to that mission? I think sometimes maybe we get starstruck by people like John the Baptist and we convince ourselves that you know, we, we aren't at that level. We can't be devoted like they are. But I believe Matthew, uh, I believe Jesus has something to say about this in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this is a powerful reminder from Jesus about the attitude that God is really looking for. But do we honestly have hearts that are fully devoted like this? I mean, really, deep down, can we say that he consumes everything that we are and there's nothing left for selfish desires? 
I don't think I'm alone in saying that I have some work to do here. And I'm so happy to see so many people in this room this morning. But I hope we all realize that being here for a couple hours on Sunday is not what defines us as being Christians. As Scott shared with us in the daily uh, in the reading for the sermon, Jesus says that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And he says daily and follow me. So we can see that our commitment to Christ is not a hobby. It's a way of life. If we really understand this and grasp this idea, I think that our lives are going to change and, and the lives of the church uh, is going to change if we can really put this into practice. The second, uh, the second case study I want to look at is from the Apostle Paul. We'll be reading from Acts 20, 22 to 24. And, and here we pick up the, the text where Paul was on his third missionary journey in the Aegean Sea near Ephesus, which is present-day Turkey. And he was making his way down to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. We pick up the account uh, when he was in the city of Miletus and has a conversation with the elders in the church there. And so it says in Acts 20, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only, game is to, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The, ta- the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew that the mission he was on was going to cost him something. But he was devoted to it anyway. And he was even ready to die for the mission of spreading the gospel. I mean, Paul didn't see his mission as some isolated project in his life. No, this project was his entire life. So much so that he says here that I consider my life worth nothing to me. This doesn't mean that he thought his life was worthless, but it, may, it means that he wasn't going to value what he wanted to do over and above what God wanted him to do and what his service was to God. I think John and Paul viewed their lives differently than, than a lot of Christians do today, and, and myself too at some times. I think they didn't see God as some part of their lives. They saw their lives as totally belonging to God. I don't think that this means that every waking minute of the day they were preaching at people, but I think it is more of a thing like where they viewed their lives as kind of like a chess game. Everything that they did was a calculated move with their end goal their end goal and their mission as being the mission that God had given them. Every move that they made had to contribute towards that mission or else they just didn't make it. And I believe this is the kind of attitude that God wants from all of us. I know someone sitting there this morning saying that, Miles, this is the Apostle Paul and, and John the Baptist we're talking about. Uh, like these are the, the superstars of the faith. You know, God obviously had a, a special purpose in mind for them, but, but I can't do these kinds of things. Well, I think to get some clarification on that, I'd like to talk about Jeremiah, the prophet from the Old Testament. Uh, I'd like to share with us Jeremiah 1, verses 4 to 8. And here we're going to see a conversation between God and Jeremiah. And and when God is telling him that he wants Jeremiah to begin preaching and and going to the people in Jerusalem and, and giving them messages from God. It says here in verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you, In the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go, every, uh, you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I will be with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. I just love the promise that, or I love the, the thing that God says to Jeremiah here in verse 5. He says, before you were born, I already had a mission for you. So, we might not be the Apostle Paul, we might not be the prophet Jeremiah, we might not be John the Baptist, but I guarantee you that if God had a purpose in mind for these men, that He also made all of us with a purpose too. And I also guarantee you that your purpose wasn't to become rich or become a CEO or spend hours and hours scrolling through Facebook and Instagram. No, we were made for more than this. Our mission statement should be to glorify God. And the specifics of how we carry that out might be different depending on what walk of life we're in, the types of people that God's placed around us, and the gifts that we have. But we, and we can and we should use things like money, careers, and technology as tools to help us accomplish our mission. But we must never value these tools over and above the mission itself. So Paul's mission may have been to preach the gospel to as many people as possible. And Jeremiah's mission may have been to correct the direction that Israel was going. But overall, their underlying desire was to be devoted to God and to do whatever they could to serve Him. And guess what? That's the same attitude that God wants you and I to have today as well. We may not go on a mission trip sailing through the Mediterranean, and we may not wander around Jerusalem telling people how to live their lives better, but we need to remember that we need to still devote our lives to God so that He can be glorified in everything that we do. Unfortunately, I think there are times that we compartmentalize our lives kind of like this pie chart, and we say, oh, we have this part for work, a part for entertainment, a part for hobbies, and yeah, then there's this part for church things too, but the problem with that is that if we live this way, then we're only going to be giving one part of our lives to God, and we aren't going to be very effective at serving Him. I think the, the way that God wants us to view the different areas of our lives is more like the wheels on a train. All the wheels do their part to support the vehicle can move forward but if one wheel wants to be selfish to do its own thing and not support any of the load the train won't be as useful it just won't our lives will be so much more useful to god if we devote every area to him as an area that can be used for his mission so this brings us to our third case study from king solomon i'm going to read a little bit from chapter 8 and a little bit from chapter 11 of first kings uh, we know that King Solomon was the third king of Israel and the son of uh, the famous King David. And he commissioned the building of the, of the, the first temple of God in Jerusalem. And when the, uh, when the temple was finally complete, God's presence filled it up. And Solomon offered a prayer up to God before all of, all of Israel. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in, in 1 Kings 8:59 to 61 It says here, and this is Solomon speaking. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. 
So we see here that Solomon is totally devoted to serving God, even admitting in verse 60 that the Lord is the only true God. He tells the people that they must be fully committed to the Lord their God. So now we fast forward to chapter 11, a couple, uh, three chapters later, and we pick up another account about Solomon. It says here in verses 1 to 6, King Solomon, however, had, uh, had loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were, from, uh, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his David, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. So we see here that God is calling out Solomon for his mistakes in this section. But notice what he says in verse 6. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. I mean, it wasn't even that Solomon completely abandoned God. No, he just had devotion that was divided among a few other gods. And we've got to ask, how did Solomon go from being so totally devoted in, in chapter 8 to here in chapter 11 where he's, he's running after other gods? And I'd like to suggest that this probably didn't happen overnight. Verse 4 hints that Solomon grew, as Solomon grew older, he decided to make a compromise here and there, and eventually yeah, it became his downfall. And I wanted to share this example for that very reason because I know some of us here might be in a place where we can honestly say that we're doing a pretty good job of devoting ourselves to God. But the message from Solomon this morning is that we are not to let our guard down and we cannot compromise. Our minister, Jay, pointed out to me once that the best way to get off course when we're canoeing or kayaking is just simply to stop paddling and then we drift. And this is also the best way to drift in our faith as well. Losing our exclusive devotion doesn't usually happen with one mistake. It happens when we compromise, take a break, and drift off course. We need to guard against that. And Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So I'd like to take some time now to really see how this concept can affect our lives. I want to use an object lesson that Alicia found on the internet um, to try and demonstrate how easily we can compromise on opportunities to serve God during the day. I'm going to describe a hypothetical example in my life, and I'm going to have a banana up here. It's nice and spotted the way I like them. Uh, And this banana is going to represent... Uh, it's going to kind of serve as an hourglass to show the day going by. And it will show how much time I have left in my day. Each time I take a bite of the banana, it will represent time passing in the day. As the day passes, the day, uh, sorry, as the day passes, the banana will be eaten, whether I use my time to serve God with it or not. 
Let's see if I can do all this without dropping everything. Uh, and so, and so the amount of uh, the amount of banana that remains after each event represents how much time I have left in my day to serve God, or not. And so my day begins. I wake up in the morning and I've had it in mind to build a personal devotional time with God each morning. But I went to bed late last night because I stayed out with my friends for too long and. I just hit snooze three times and and sleep through everything. And I tell myself, I will make some time to do it after work instead. I've still got lots of time left to serve God today. It's good. So now it's time to go to work. A goal of mine has been uh, to be a better uh, better, uh, student of God's Word. My friend suggested this podcast that's full of great sermons I can listen to as I drive. So I go to leave to go to work. I fire up the podcast. But then there on my phone, there's another podcast right beside it. It's about murder mystery crime series. I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. Um, I'd like to listen to that one instead. So uh, I, I decide, well, maybe I'll listen to the sermon stuff later after work or maybe tomorrow. I still got lots of time left in my day to do spiritual things. So now I'm at work in the morning. I've been trying to reach out to a colleague for a while because I sense they may be receptive to hearing the gospel. I just got the news that they've been diagnosed with cancer and I feel compelled to go uh, see them and, and see if they need help with anything and offer to pray for them. And when I sit down at my desk, though, my boss comes up and, and tells me that the that project I've been working on, it's been bumped up and now it's due at the end of the week. So I, I start panicking and I think, oh, i got to work hard and get this done. Uh, so I, I frantically work through my whole shift. I don't take any breaks, don't look up from my desk. I talk to no one all day long and I tell, I tell God, well, I'll talk to them about, our, about their cancer next week or, or maybe, uh, maybe tomorrow or something and I'll, maybe I'll pray about it later instead. So... After work, I get home for the night and it's time to eat supper. I want God to be a part of my family's daily routine and I've decided that it'd be a good idea to serve my family by reading a few verses at the dinner table each night and discussing it with them for a few minutes. When I get home tonight, though, I'm so exhausted from my busy day at work that I decide to put it off for another day because I just can't be bothered to do that right now. I don't want to look for the verses. I'll get it started tomorrow, I say. So after supper, I sit down on the couch to watch some Netflix and try and unwind. On the coffee table, there's a bulletin from Sunday. I flip it open and I see that there's a member who's sick in the the church and they're at the hospital. They've asked for visitors and I know I should go see them. Okay, I'll just watch one episode of uh, Netflix here and then I'll head down there, I think. But then I get so enthralled with that show, I decide to watch another one and another one and another one. And then it's, it's too late, visiting hours are over, and I've, I've missed my opportunity. And I, I say, well, I'm sure someone else went to see them. i still got a little bit of time left uh, to serve God in my day, uh, just after this next episode. So finally, I've had enough TV, and I'm ready for the spiritual part of my day. I've been, waiting to, I've been wanting to get into the habit of praying with my wife in the evening, After all, couples who pray together stay together, right? I finally shut off the TV 
and go looking for her only to find her fast asleep because it's so late at night. Uh, Tomorrow evening, for sure, I quickly say to God. So looking at the time on the clock, I realized I've stayed up too late. Again, I crawl into bed and try to spend some time in prayer by myself, but I'm all out of energy now, and the day is done. All that's left in my banana is the scraps, because I've used all the good stuff, all the good stuff up on myself again. I offer God the scraps of my day by saying a few words to Him in prayer, but I just fall asleep, something I do too often. Tomorrow I promise I won't give you the scraps, I, I think, as I drift off in my warm bed. So I hope this, this example will help us to see that there's lots of opportunities uh, for us to serve God during, during the day-to-day of our lives. It just depends on what we do with them. I hope we also see that it doesn't necessarily have to be a big flashy thing that we're doing for God. But it can just be the small things. The little things can have just as much importance and impact. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it's bad to work hard or to take a restful night at home. I'm just pointing out that it's awfully easy to convince ourselves that we don't need to serve for this or that reason. And when we consider how much God has done for us, I hope we feel strongly compelled to do something in return for Him. I was listening to a sermon from Francis Chan recently, and uh, he talked about the attitudes that Christians should have towards serving God, and I've hit on some of the same points from his lesson here because I think they go well with our topic. I think as Christians, we need to be motivated to serve God out of a response to the love that he showed us first. As we reflect on, days, on how days like the banana scrap day can and probably have happened to all of us, I think it's an important reminder to us that God more than deserves our devotion because of his incredible love that he has shown to us. And I think this verse here from Romans 8, 1 and 2 really highlights the kind of love that God has for us. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through the, uh, because through the law, sorry, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. God really does give us the very best, doesn't he? No condemnation and freedom from sin and death. Nobody else can do that. He does all this so that we can have a relationship with him. And so what are we going to offer in return? I think there's this idea out there that there are things that you can do to uh, to serve God. And then there are some things that you can do to serve Satan. And then there's this kind of gray area in between where I can sort of just do whatever I want. I think we can fall into the trap of thinking that this gray area is where we spend all of our time, most of our time. It's where we, we have our time for work, our hobbies, our sports, family time, etc. You know, I go to the serving God area on Sunday. I maybe go there a few times during the week too. And I kind of do my best to stay out of the serving Satan place, you know, um, killing people and swearing and things like that. But but in the rest of the time, I just kind of stay in that gray box and I, I do whatever I want. And and as long as I as long as I am not in the serving Satan place, God is fine with me taking all the time I want to do whatever I want. But I'm here to show you this morning that this way is a lie from Satan. 
Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the hope that they had been called to and what their lives used to look like before they had that hope. It's the ESV here from Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were all by nature deserving of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 3 says that when we were disobedient, we carried out the desires of our body and our mind. In other words, when we disobeyed God, it was because we were doing whatever we wanted. This warning sounds an awful lot like something we hear every day in our culture, doesn't it? Just do whatever makes you happy. It makes sense then that Paul says that this kind of thinking happens whenever we follow the course of this world. I had an example come up like this recently in my life, um, and I was wise enough to figure it out. But we, Alicia and I like to host people, and we wanted to buy an espresso machine to practice better hospitality. And, uh, and I know, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everybody needs an espresso machine to practice hospitality, but we, it's just something that we wanted to do. And um, I figured, like I do with most things, I'd do a bunch of research and try to figure out which was the best one to buy. And there's nothing wrong with doing research for a purchase. After all, we, we wanted to make it a good one. We were planning to use it to glorify God and, and practice hospitality in our home. But we need to be careful with how far we go with things like this. Because I got so devoted to my research, I wasn't even focused when I was talking with Alicia about other things. I was missing some of my Bible readings. I ended up focusing way too many of my thoughts during the day on this, on this thing rather than what I needed to be focused on, which are spiritual things. And after coming to my, se- my senses, I was thinking, you know, this is exactly what Satan wants me to do. He doesn't need us to get caught up in some life of addiction to, a, to drugs or to commit adultery to pull us away from God. We don't have to, we don't have to commit some grievous sin to lose our path. No, he... He just He's way more cunning than that. He just needs to keep us distracted. He needs to keep us busy with anything other than something spiritual. And then He can pull us away and make us ineffective. He's probably happy to let me be here for an hour on Sunday morning. As long as I can be distracted by Him throughout the rest of the week. I think sometimes we can convince ourselves that as long as I'm with the church on Sunday... Uh, I, I say nice things and I do nice things. That means I'm devoting my life to God. I can't be serving Satan, right? I'm not, I'm not like killing people or singing songs of praise to the devil. But really, the sobering thought for us this morning is from Ephesians that we just read. It says that if we are living to carry out the desires of our body and our minds, we are serving the devil. So every week, uh, sorry, every day of the week is God's time, not just on Sunday. Every hour of the day is an opportunity to serve God, not just when we're at Bible study. Every minute is a gift from God that can either be turned back to Him in service or used for ourselves, and then we just leave Him with the scraps. This kind of lukewarm attitude towards serving isn't new. 
God spoke to the Israelites through Malachi about something similar, a similar lukewarm attitude that they had towards sacrifices to him. And I'd like to read here from Malachi 1, verses 8 to 10. It says, When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. The Israelites uh, were offering the second best animals from their flocks as sacrifices to God when God had specifically said he wanted the best of what they had to offer. God didn't want lame and diseased animals from the Israelites and even tells him in verse 10 just to shut the temple doors and stop lighting useless fires. If they weren't going to give him their best, he would rather not have any of it. We may look at this as an old story, and, but I would argue that not a single thing has changed with God's attitude towards the sacrifices that we bring as Christians today. I mean, sure, we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore, but Jesus has still commanded us, as we read in our, in our scripture reading, that we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. Our God wants us to be fully devoted and in a fully devoted relationship with him, and he won't accept being a second or third or fourth priority. So our challenge today is a great one. How can we rethink every area of our lives as an opportunity to serve God? And I'd like to offer a few primers for us as we try to apply this lesson in our lives. How can our perception of our jobs change if we start viewing it as an area for reaching the lost or maybe a place where we could set a godly example and reach out to those who are struggling? Is there a way to get creative with our downtime so that we can still rest and unwind but also involve God in the process, maybe being with other Christians, being able to build other people up? Or maybe you need to be alone to recharge. Well, can we use that time then to, to be thankful and praying to God? Can we use our hobbies as a mission field or a way of serving or mentoring or building others up? Can we use our time while driving to pray or maybe to listen to sermons or songs of praise? And of course, what can I do in the church to serve God? Am I using the gifts he has given me for his glory or am I burying them? Are there areas where I can help more? Uh, And I think there's also areas in our lives where we might be able to honestly say that we can't find a way to use that to serve God. And and I would encourage us to look at, take a hard look at those areas and decide if, if maybe it's time to make a change. The possibilities of this are endless once you start thinking about ways that your service to God can impact every area of your life. What I pray that we can really grasp this morning is that God wants fully devoted followers. He doesn't want part-timers, but instead He wants people who are actively trying to serve Him 24-7. I realize that this message is a heavy one, but the good news is that we are working for the best boss you can imagine and that there are only better things to come. The other great news is that if we've realized this morning that we don't measure up, it's not too late to change. He is still recruiting full-time workers and there's plenty of jobs to go around. And I'd like to leave us with this passage this morning from Ephesians 2, 8-10. to It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Despite the fact that we are God's enemies, God has given us salvation and a place in heaven with Jesus. This is all a gift from God, and because of these amazing gifts, I hope that we will all respond by rolling up our sleeves and doing the works that he's prepared for us to do in advance. And I I wanted to take this time just to say, if there's anyone here this morning who needs to get started on this path of devoting their lives to God, please, don't wait. Come speak to me. Come speak to one of the elders. Come speak to Jay, uh, either after or as we stand and sing today. Thank you very much for your time.